Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Either you are with us or you are with the terrorists. If you've got health care already, then you can keep your plan if you are satisfied with it. Donald Trump is not going to be president of the United States. Take it to the bank. Together, we will make America great again. We shall never surrender. Never surrender. It's what you've been waiting for all day. Buck Sexton with America Now. Join the conversation. Call Buck toll-free at 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. The future of talk radio. Buck Sexton. Remember this day in which it was singled out for attack in the General Assembly for the very act of exercising our right as a sovereign nation. We will remember it when we are called upon to once again make the world's largest contribution to the United Nations. And we will remember it when so many countries come calling on us, as they so often do, to pay even more and to use our influence for their benefit. America will put our embassy in Jerusalem. That is what the American people want us to do. And it is the right thing to do. No vote in the United Nations will make any difference on that. But this vote will make a difference on how Americans look at the UN and on how we look at countries who disrespect us in the UN. Buck Sexton here, team. Great to have you with me in the Freedom Hut. That was U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations, Nikki Haley, laying a smackdown on the United Nations General Assembly today. I have to say, it was uh, quite a good day for the ambassador and a day of clarity for many of the rest of us. We're not surprised to find out that the United Nations has quite an anti-Israeli and, in fact, anti-Semitic streak. That's not news. And we're not surprised that a bunch of countries all over the world that pretend to be courageous in moments like this where there's a a vote that means nothing but they want to get on the record anyway uh, we won't be surprised when they come asking for our help later on but this is where we see the difference isn't it between this administration and the previous one the obama administration was all about trying to just fit in with the pack of the international community trying to be a part of all the different nations out there and really no different and in so many ways no better than all these other countries. And that's just nonsense. It's not true. It's claptrap. We are better than almost all countries in every sense, and we are the best country in a general sense. So it's nice to have some top-down reaffirmation of that at the United Nations. The world sleeps soundly at night despite the fact that our military could crush anybody. The world is, in fact, a much better place each and every day because of America. And the fact that Israel, in such a short span of time, has created a rule of law based democracy in the heart of the Middle East where people have rights and a high standard of living and are coming up with new vaccines and computer technologies and on the cutting edge of so many different industries. And then you look around in the neighborhood and you're like, well, what's going on outside of Israeli borders? People feel very 
insecure about it, I guess you could say. Other nations, whether it's Saudi Arabia or the UAE or Egypt or name a country, they see what's happened in Israel and they have to tell themselves lies about what's really happened. Because they can't accept the truth, and that is that autocracy and theocracy, more specifically in the case of the Saudis and many other Muslim states, is a path to misery. And the Israelis have something else. They have rule of law. They have a decent country and society that is the envy of the rest of the region, and that is why it is so hated by the rest of the region. And we have America close friend and ally of the Israeli state that under this president with this U.S. ambassador to the United Nations will actually say, you know what? Enough of enough of the garbage, enough of the crap that we have to deal with from all of you here. You should be so thankful that the current global hegemon is as benevolent and decent to powers the United States. You know, I see these polls that are out there and there was one that was out pretty recently about which country is the one that is viewed as the greatest threat to peace and stability and in a lot of the world it's america it's a shocking number of countries they, they say it's america the only real exceptions are in countries where there's an imminent national security challenger next door right so in india It's Pakistan in Pakistan. It's India. You know, in South Korea, it's North Korea and North Korea. But if you look at a lot of polling, it'll show you that around the world, they view America as the biggest threat. And it's just a reminder that there's really no gratitude for the greatness of this country from a lot of the world. Not from all of it. There are countless Tens of millions that want to come here, really probably hundreds of millions that would love to come to America if they really were given the option, because they understand that this place is the best. There's nothing jingoistic or strange about professing that America is number one, because we are, and that's okay. It doesn't mean that every American is better than or worth more than people from every other country. It just means as a a nation state, as these things go, we are in fact the best. And we want others to live in happiness and prosperity and liberty and security. And they should be happy that that's the case because it hasn't always been so. It's not always the reality of whatever the global hegemon or the regional hegemon may be at any point in time. The great empires of the past were built on slavery in one form or another and conquest. We are the first to take at least the mantle of British leadership, although now we're talking about colonial period, and create a better world. Uh, And the United Nations is a reflection, I think, of the, the disconnect that so many other countries have when it comes to what is the truth, what is the reality of America, and it is that they should be very thankful. I'm not expecting everyone all over the world to pray to America every day, but I also don't think that they should be slapping us in the face or that their leadership should be without consequence, given that this is none of their concern. They can pretend it is, but where America puts its embassy is the business of America and the host country. That's it. This is not up for discussion or debate from other countries. This is our call. 
You know, this is like all the other countries of the world coming over to our house and saying, you know what, you're going to you're going to put the kitchen here. No, thanks. Actually, we'll decide where we put the kitchen. Not not up to you. It's our house. Thanks a lot. They should be embarrassed, all these countries that did this today. But it is a moment in time when we can see that the Trump administration is oh so different from its predecessor. No bowing. No, oh gosh, what have we done so badly all over the world? Maybe U.S. foreign policy is the cause of so many of these ills that we see happening. Maybe the global war on terrorism is just one big, long, extended blowback to U.S. foreign policy. These are beliefs on the left that have infused themselves in the Democratic Party. They've taken this stuff on. And at the very top level, there is at least some level of adherence to it. There is some acceptance of these ideas all the way up to the commander in chief in the previous administration, Obama himself. That America was the cause of problems in the world, that America should be humbling itself before other powers. And the difference is quite a contrast, isn't it, right now? And you see it on display. Uh, the United Nations, instead of being thankful for what we do all over the world, takes its first chance here to say that they condemn our actions. It doesn't really mean anything, but then we have to start to think, well, does symbolism, does symbolism have meaning or not? The United Nations is honestly more symbolic than anything else. A lot of bureaucrats. I know some people who've worked at the UN they say that you've got some nice you know, benefits, but nothing really happens in any meaningful sense. Doesn't stop genocides from occurring. Doesn't end civil wars and creates forums for discussion that are largely unnecessary. And as we will talk about in just a little bit, focus way too much on Israel as though this small country in the Middle East surrounded by generally hostile powers is the great threat to international stability. It's just a constant reminder of the inadequacy of the various, particularly Arab Muslim regimes that currently exist. That's, that's why Israel is at least one of the major reasons why it is so bothersome to them. Why are the Israelis so much more prosperous and militarily more powerful than we are? It's it's an it's a worthwhile question for them to actually look at honestly, but they won't. Instead, they'll just spread anti anti Semitic lies and and defamation and whine and use the Palestinians as a as a pawn to try and escape accountability for the failures of Islamic leadership. That's just what's happening. That's the truth, but they won't want to see it that way. So today was it was a good day. And Nikki Haley did an excellent job, I must say. I've often wondered why, in the face of such hostility, Israel has chosen to remain a member of this body. And then I remember that Israel has chosen to remain in this institution because it's important to stand up for yourself. Israel must stand up for its own survival as a nation, but it also stands up for the ideals of freedom and human dignity that the United Nations is supposed to be about. Would you, would you rather be, and you can do this thought experiment in so many different ways, you know, would you rather be taken on the battlefield as an enemy uh, in, in Israel or in Syria? 
or in Saudi Arabia. Look at what the Saudis are doing to the Yemenis right now. Yemen is a humanitarian disaster. Saudis are right. The incredibly wealthy Saudis are right next door and just letting the place burn and, and involved in a vicious air campaign as well. So you can, you can have the thought experiment so many different ways, but the Israelis represent 21st century civilization in a region that could use quite a bit more of that these days. And that's just the truth. Uh, we will take a bunch of calls if you want today. I'd love to talk to you about the tax bill. It looks like a continuing uh, resolution has been passed, at least by the House. Is that the latest? There's not going to be a shutdown, right? That's all we need. There will be no shutdown. Yeah. Oh, OK. We got We got to wait for the Senate still. So the House has passed it. We'll see what happens with the Senate. I, there, there's not enough of a there's not enough attention on them to do a shutdown over the Christmas holiday. Plus, the government's kind of shut down over the holiday anyway. It's like, oh, gosh, what will happen? The government shuts down. It pretty much shuts down Saturday and Sunday every week and we all survive, everybody. It's OK. You know, what's, what's really going to kill us all is net neutrality. That's where we're all going to die. Uh, 844-900-2825, 844-900-BUCK, second to last show of 2017. I can't say it out loud too many times or I might get a little teary-eyed here and get a little weepy. It's amazing how fast, how fast time flies. Team Buck, you're all grown up now. Oh, gosh. Nationwide, over 120 stations. Oh, gosh. 844-900-2825. I'll be right back. For all of these nations that take our money and then they vote against us at the Security Council or they vote against us potentially at the Assembly, they take hundreds of millions of dollars and even billions of dollars and then they vote against us. Well, we're watching those votes. Let them vote against us. We'll save a lot. We don't care. But this isn't like it used to be where they could vote against you and then you pay them hundreds of millions of dollars and nobody knows what they're doing. So, Nikki, that was the right message that you and I agreed to be sent yesterday. And I've had a lot of good comment on it. Believe me, people are tired of the United States. The people that live here are great citizens that love this country. They're tired of this country being taken advantage of. And we're not going to be taken advantage of any longer. Amen. I mean, how is that controversial? You get all these stuffy, hissy foreign policy types who are like, oh, how could he? The United Nations. Really? Why do we have to give the most money to the U.N.? You know, I got an even better question. As a New Yorker, why do they have to have the U.N. headquarters here? Put it somewhere else where they don't cause so much congestion and traffic and where there aren't so many great restaurants and ways for these countries to have their bureaucrats spending their taxpayers' dollars, you know? I'm sure there's like a like an island somewhere. Send them to, I don't know, some other place. You know, the Falklands. <laughs> it's a little out of the way, but I'm just saying, you got to find somewhere else to put them. All right, everybody wants to talk taxes. We can do that. I'll, I'm going to have our friend David Ethun from the Algaminer talk to us about UN vote today with Nikki Haley. But let's take. We got lines lit up all over the place. I know I'm going to miss you all too. I know. Got to get a lot of calls today and tomorrow because I'm going to not get to talk to you guys for a few days. It's going to make me, it's going to give me the sadness. I'm going to be sad. Um, let's get Ann in Virginia. What's up, Ann? Boo-hoo, I'm sad too. Yeah, me too. But I'll be back. It's going to be a fun 2018 here in the hut. Okay. Um, Comcast gave employees a cross-the-board raise today and Christmas bonuses. I know. Why? 
Because the tax bill passed. Exactly. Yeah, it's good stuff. And yet, is there a more democratically endorsed, uh, you know, company than them? No, Democrats care about the middle class until someone does something for the middle class, and then they go kind of radio silent on it, or they lie about it and say it's bad. All right, Ann, we're kind of losing you here, so we're going to roll. Ann, thank you. And Shields, I have a Merry Christmas to you. I couldn't really hear what she was saying. Uh, Wayne in Florida. Hey, Wayne. Hey, I just wanted to remind you that it's uh, not really a ho-hum uh, continuing resolution in the in the Senate. Since they passed the tax bill and it did away with the individual mandate, the Lamar Alexander and Patty Murray amendment, uh, McConnell is going to slap on the continuing resolution and sneak it in there as an insurance company bailout. So remind everybody to call their senator. Well, tell every say, hey, Wayne, no. you're, you're, you're an erudite fellow. What does that mean? Well, it means that... Uh, they're going to end up giving millions to the uh, insurance company, or billion, whatever, to the insurance company saying, well, since you're losing all these customers, we've got to do something that, uh, you know, make up the loss you're going to take when all these customers drop off voluntarily. And uh, so we want to make sure that uh, people tell their senators uh, no on the amendment. So, But see, I don't understand. Why would they bail out? The whole purpose of, of repealing the individual mandate, as I see it, is to show everybody that the moment you, you have free choice in these exchanges they collapse because people don't want to buy this stuff because a lot of people get a bad deal well, so why, why would they want to bail I, them out uh i agree we should not i assume it's a uh, mcconnell deal where somebody's getting some money uh from the insurance companies some kickback some uh, finance some okay you're our big donors we need to do something for you uh, they didn't just pull that out of you know thin air. Yeah, uh, hey, I give uh, and Shields Hi, Wayne. Thank you for calling in. Merry Christmas. I, I give uh, Trish Regan over at Fox Business a lot of credit. She's she's pounding the drum on the carried interest loophole, which is a straight up giveaway to private equity and hedge fund guys. And for those of you who don't have too much familiarity with those businesses, they make a lot of money. And the difference between what they pay in taxes on their large incomes with the carried interest loophole and without it is like, a, you know, paying half. It's big. It is a big difference. And yeah, that was just, a, that was the donor class. Uh, don't forget it. The donor class is not just alive and well, but still got a lot of power inside the GOP. And this tax cut, Yes, Trump allowed this to happen. Without Trump, this doesn't happen. Trump allowed this to happen because without him, we don't win the White House, right? But this is a very mainstream, mainline GOP thing. This is not a radical tax bill. This is what the GOP, the, look at Paul Ryan, right? He couldn't be any happier. He's like a kid on Christmas a few days before Christmas. So just remember this. It's good, but there's some stuff in there that's a little annoying, and we shouldn't forget that there's got to be a lot more done. I'm not even going to talk about it. I'm not going to be the Grinch today who talks about the debt, but it's a problem. But we'll talk about that some other day. Got your calls, screens lit. Let's take uh, David in just a moment here. The result of the vote is as follows. In favor, 128. Against, 9. Abstentions, 35. Draft resolution A slash ES dash 10 slash L22 is adopted. So the UN General Assembly today voted overwhelmingly 
to condemn the United States' decision to move a United States facility within a sovereign nation and member of the United Nations. Well, what are we to make of all this, really? We've got David Afun on the line now. He's the editor-in-chief of the Algaminer. David, great to have you back. Always a pleasure, Buck. I guess today was not surprising, but I think it's, at some level, still disappointing, David. In some level, yes, but but in, in another level, not so. And I think uh, for two reasons. First of all, you know, at the U.N., <laughs> to begin with, is, is deeply problematic, and that's very, very well known. The sense that it's, you know, there are automatic majorities of the Organization of Islamic Cooperation, the Lone Line Movement, that are against Western interests, whatever they are. Um, but I think we have seen some, some movement in, in the opposite direction here. If you combine the abstentions uh, together with countries that didn't show up, together with those countries that voted against, you have about 61 states that refused to play along with this blatant and egregious uh, degradation of, of the U.N. cause and what the U.N. is supposed to stand for. Um, so in that sense, uh, I would say pigeon steps forward. But I think the, the, the bigger progress is actually on the U.S. front and the U.S. approach to the U.N. I mean, under the Obama administration, we saw a White House that kind of was, easy to, was eager to curry favor with the U.N. and and seek the approval of the international community for various policies. And here you have a White House, which I think is taking the right approach, and that is, listen, you know, we, we know what's right, we're doing the right thing, and, and we're keeping track of those of those other countries that are joining us. Uh, and by the way, there'll be repercussions, because everybody needs something from America. What are the reasons for so many of these countries, uh, David, that are, are far away from from Israel, from the territories of uh, Gaza and uh, the West Bank. Why do you have European countries, for example, that are voting to condemn this? Well, I, th- I think, you know, there's all kinds of, of different reasons. Uh, but I think, you know, the, the European countries, by the way, I would say have, have the least excuse. Uh, some of the other countries, you know, they might say, well, we need the support of, of Russia. We need the support of the Arab states. We need we need to, you know, we need to kind of be included in these these UN groupings uh, in order to have our voice heard at all, because you know we're just a small country, etc. Um, so there are there are those types of explanations. Uh, certainly, you know, there's the ideological ex- explanation, which is uh, the position of the Arab states who view Israel as uh, the worst thing that ever happened uh, on the planet, and and that's how they act. Uh, but it's also a distraction from from their own regimes and their own behaviors, and they feel if they can point the finger at Israel as, as the world's worst actor, then they're gonna, that's going to distract from their own uh, terrible activities. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're talking about authoritarian and, and, and uh, despotic regimes here. Uh, the Europeans, who you mentioned specifically, really have no excuse, and I think it's just this sort of moral preening, which is frankly pathetic. And we're starting to see uh, segments of Europe, particularly Eastern Europe, uh, take a step back. You had today the Czech Republic, Latvia, Hungary, Poland, all abstained, which I would say was uh, a good step in terms of a breakaway from European tradition, hopefully one that will continue and grow. David Afoon is the editor-in-chief of the Algeminer. Uh David, does this set the stage in your mind for uh, an, an actual 
rejuvenation of the peace process or a restart of the peace process in the future? I mean, what what does this most likely lead to in terms of the U.S. relationship in brokering some kind of a deal in 2018 between Israel and the Palestinians? Well, I think the vote itself at the U.N. today is, is, is mostly irrelevant vis-a-vis the peace process. Uh, it's what the vote was about that is more relevant. No, I mean moving the embassy. Right, in terms of moving the embassy, right. So uh, I, th- I think that actually is quite relevant, and it's, it's, it's my personal view that it will do more to move the, the cause of peace forward. You know, this administration has, has, pro- has shown time again and, and made very clear that they're determined to do things differently and that uh, they're not going to keep uh, implementing the same policies and, and then expect different results. And one of the things that they've shown that they're very prepared to do differently is to create some repercussions for the Palestinians who in the past, uh, I think we spoke a little bit about this last time, have always been handled by the U.S. with, with kid gloves. And uh, I think this is, this is just the beginning. You know, the, the U.S. is showing it's serious. It's telling the Palestinians, you know, you better get down off your high horse and play ball because the, the, the ticking clock is, is not in your favor over here. Uh, this was a first step. I think, to show how serious the U.S. was. Uh, but there are a lot more repercussions lined up for the Palestinians if they're not prepared to, to, to uh, show goodwill and, and serious commitment to, to, uh, to these discussions. It also seems like a reminder that at the United Nations, there is a, a fixation on condemning, criticizing, uh, bullying Israel that can't be explained by simple statecraft, David. Yeah, that's true. I even saw um, Jake, Jake Tapper, of all people from CNN, was uh, tweeting about this earlier today. The stats show that that uh, there were 21 resolutions condemning Israel at the UN in 2017, and only five resolutions condemning all other countries. One each, I think, for Syria, North Korea, uh, Russia, maybe China, and one other country. Uh, so that just just gives you a sense of of how disproportionate it is and how egregious it is. I mean, of course, uh, there's criticism to be had for for every country, but, you know, Israel is a liberal democracy. It's a free society. I mean, it's, it's, it's insanity that really undercuts everything the United Nations stands for, that this, that this goes on. And for the U.S. to take a step back and say, look, you know, have it your way, but we're not going to foot the bill anymore, right? Or, or don't expect us to, to, do, to do things in the same way. Uh, which is what the, the message that the president sent yesterday and Nikki Haley sent from the U.N. podium, uh, is a correct approach for them to be uh, rec- reconsidering their, their commitment to, uh, to funding the U.N. to the tune of 20-odd percent of its budget. For more analysis and all the latest going on with Israel and the Middle East, uh, go to thealgaminer.com. David Afoon is the editor-in-chief there. David, thank you so much for joining us. Happy holidays and talk to you in 2018. Always a pleasure, Buck. You too. Good to talk to you, my friend. All right, team, 844-900-2825, 844-900-BUCK. Uh, what, what did you think of Nikki Haley lighting it up today at the United Nations? I have to say, I was quite pleased. That and uh, more coming up. All right, team, lines are lit. Let's get to it. Rayab in Florida. Hey, what's up, Ray? Hey, Buck. Hey. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Yes, I, I, I like your show a lot. Thank and you. And I listened to the resolution today. I like to add a little bit on your discussion about it. Sure. Uh, 
when you mention uh, the sovereignty, and of course we have the right to uh, declare whatever, as long as we don't step on somebody else's. You mentioned that we just declaring moving our embassy uh, to wherever. That's okay, but don't declare you're meeting, declaring that or enforcing. Okay, we now we're going to declare Jerusalem to be the capital of Israel. That's not your right. Well, but but if it, you but, want to state a fact, you have to state the whole thing. How about if? Uh, of Syria or Iraq. Because yeah, but, but hold, hold, okay, on, hold on a second, Reb. Israel, Israel is a sovereign country and a member of the United Nations, right? I understand. Right, right. So so they're the ones that are saying this is our capital, and we're the ones who are saying, no, okay, no, so no, we're no, going to have no, our embassy no, in no, your you capital. Not, you are not the one who's saying that the capital. You are the one who's saying that, or enforcing that now. Wait, the Israelis what? don't think Jerusalem is their capital? No, they agree that the east part belongs to the Palestinian and the west part belongs to the Israel. No, they, they, <laughs> they, they, uh, uh, the Israelis are pretty sure that Jerusalem is their capital. You need to check the history. No, because that you add, when you only twist in track like this, you add to the oil onto the fire. You know that this area is very, very, very uh, sensitive. And, uh, no, I, I, I understand that it's very, very be sensitive. Fair. You but have to be fair to both sides. Don't just take one side. I mean, but my, my friend, the best. I, I got I to ask you. So if you were to right now go on, and, and we could probably do this together if you want while we're on air, if you were yes. to type in into Google, which is a very well-known search engine, what is the capital of Israel? You know what would come up, right? The capital of Israel so far... Yeah, come on, let's do this together. Go, go into Google, type it in. On paper. On paper. On paper. <laughs> Even the US oh, no, no, no. See, see that now, now, we're going, now we're getting a little silly, right? Because I'm just telling you that the Israeli government, which is a country and a member nation of the United Nations, member state, says that Jerusalem is their capital, and that is the, that is the capital of Israel. So I don't know. I mean, the, the unwillingness to move the embassy in the past was a concession that was unnecessary to begin with. But anyway, well, my, look, I, I appreciate, Rayab, you calling in. I, we're not going to get anywhere with this. If you say it's not the capital, I'm, I'm telling you it, it is. And there's a recognition of reality. It doesn't change anything where the U.S. building is with regard to whether or not it is the capital. It just shows that the U.S. isn't living in some alternative universe. But I appreciate you calling in. Uh, yeah, no, the Google, the Google will say it for all of you. Jerusalem is, in fact, the capital of Israel. I'm just... Putting it out there. Uh, Herb in New Jersey. What up, Herb? Shields high, Buck. Merry Christmas. Shields high. Merry Christmas to you, sir. I uh, I have to agree with you. Um, I think uh, Rayeb uh, is is a little misguided in that uh, we haven't. I don't think we've declared that uh, Jerusalem is Israel's capital. I think Israel did that. I think we just recognized it, just like um, so many countries have uh, wisely recognized Israel's right to exist as a nation. And uh, so we've recognized Israel's right to declare Jerusalem their capital. Very simple. Uh, the reason I call, Buck, is that um, I, I just think uh, Nikki Haley is the absolute bomb. Um, you know, it, it's almost like if you were to believe in reincarnation, uh, the spirit of John Wayne has been reborn in Nikki Haley because she's not afraid to stand there and tell it like it is and pretty much not care if you like it or not. She's going to say what's on her mind. She did a great, she did a great job today. I, I agree with you. And by the Absolutely. way, I would think 
I'm, I'm not sure how long Tillerson's going to want to stay around as Secretary of State. I've got to assume that Nikki Haley is uh, top of the list to replace him if, if Rex decides he wants to do a little more fly fishing and spend his $300 million. Hey, she'd, she'd have my vote to replace him without, without a doubt. You know, every time she opens her mouth to the U.N., uh, I leap out of my seat. I throw my fist in the air and holler, yeah. And of course, it scares my wife and one of my dogs runs and hides. But I'm just really, really proud of her when, uh, when she represents us in the United Nations. And she's uh, by a president who believes that we have a right as the strongest nation in the world to voice our opinion, and uh, we expect our opinion to be respected just like they want us to respect theirs. There's a new naughty and nice list in town. Nikki Haley is kicking butt and taking names, and I'm looking forward to seeing that list because I'll buy products from those nine nations that agree with us, and the 128 that didn't, well, guess what? They're not getting any more of my money either. All right, Herb, thanks for the great call, my friend. Merry Christmas. Tyrone, yes, sir. Now, you mentioned that Secretary of State job. You know who yeah. really has been campaigning for it, right? No. Lindsey Graham. Lindsey Graham? That's why he's so friendly with the president. I've read a whole bunch of oh, articles on gosh. it. He, that makes I, I could see that, actually. Now that you're bringing it up, I hadn't. Oh, Lindsey. Oh, my. That, that, would not, that would not be my favorite move. I Look, he's, I, I'm just not a Lindsey Graham person. I don't know what he's, you know, I'm not a hater. I just... Not my not my top pick of the uh, of the politicos out there. Daniel in Virginia on the iHeart app. What's going on, Daniel? Hey. Hey. Uh, I just wanted to call in and thank you for everything you do because it's really great. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. That's all you got? Uh, not really. I got a little bit more though. Just like how I really love your show. Um, I'm probably one of your youngest listeners because I'm only like 15 and eight months. Oh wow! Oh wow! All right, man. We got. I'm not even. What are we? You're not even. Are you a millennial? Or are you too young to be a millennial? I'm not even sure what your designation is, man. But that's great that you listen to the show. I'm so glad. Do you? Do you have any any uh, any buddies that are also conservatives like you, or that are at least interested in politics and world affairs? Uh, I don't know. Really, I don't really talk about politics much at school. It's probably a good move, my friend. I don't want you to get in trouble with anybody, especially your teachers. They'll they'll find a way to to you know give you a bad grade if they find out you listen to this show. So I promise we won't tell anybody, but it's great that you listen, man. I'm, I'm really appreciative of it, and, and uh, have a, a very Merry Christmas with your family, and please join us in 2018, all right? All right. All right, Shields High, brother. Look at that, a 15-year-old member of Team Buck. I love it. I love it. We, we span the whole, and I used to, there was this lady who used to call in, uh, and if she's listening, you know, we'd love to hear from you. She used to call in all the time on the original Saturday Squad, and her name was Irma, and I think she told me, she was 85 and she she would call in and she'd have these great calls about like freedom and how she fled from Germany and how we need to understand what the, the greatness of America. And she had a really she had a cool German accent and she would go on these rants about freedom that were amazing. So I'm just saying we get the whole the whole spectrum here, 15 to 85 or, or 105. If you're out there, I, I don't know. You know, I'm sure there might be one or two um, now on a not. On a non-important note for a second here, I see two, or not as important, uh, two CEOs stepping down. One is Eric Schmidt at Google, or what? I'm not sure he's the CEO. He's some, what is he, chairman or something? Yeah, executive chairman of, of Alphabet. It's not called Google anymore. For those who are, want to be in the know, Google is now called Alphabet. Well, hello. 
Uh, he'll be in a technical advisor role. I don't know how important this is or not. But I also see, and I feel like people are probably going to have some opinions on this one, that Papa John's founder is out. And this is because, well, why is this? Why is the Papa John's, uh, Papa John's founder stepping down, Tyrone? What do we got? Didn't he do a lot of complaining about his sales numbers and blaming the NFL? And yeah, there was some NFL stuff. And he said some, um, I heard he, he said some racially insensitive things as well. And now at that point, he made himself such an important part of that brand that when he went bad, the brand can't really recover. And I don't want to talk about the product. No, no, I want you to talk about the product. All right. of, of the fast food pizza chains, where does Papa John's fall? They're the worst of them all by a lot. <laughs> it's not even food. Oh, man. I can't eat it, so I can't weigh in. I've... I would feel guilty giving a hot Papa John's pizza to a homeless person. Oh, my gosh. That is cold. Amy, is it the worst? Is it? Yeah. she's Amy's so polite. She just gave like a little. She's like, oh, well, yeah. But, yeah, Tyrone's calling it like it is. I can't say I've never had Papa John's pizza. Uh, in college, I did eat way too much Domino's. I blame the freshman 30 on that. But, uh, yeah, I did not have, we did not have Papa John's when I went to school. At least not that I was aware of. But he stepped down. But, yeah, the NFL. NFL was part of this, they're saying. Uh, you have any thoughts on the U.N., Russia collusion, pizza? So I spoke to you about this big story on the Obama administration. We talked about this earlier in the week where the report is, and it's from Politico, that President Obama decided to uh, call off the dog, so to speak. He he decided to take the pressure off Hezbollah. And it was because he wanted his administration so, so very much to get any kind of deal, nuclear deal, which was a foreign policy legacy item for the Obama administration and also would be the one thing the Democrats would point to in the Middle East where they'd say, see, we we accomplished something because everywhere else in the Middle East, it was just everything burning down to the ground and looking terrible under the Obama administration. Really bad. But with the Iran deal, they're going to say, well, that it was worth all the all the anarchy and suffering and casualties and misery that have been endured in areas where Iran is engaged in a proxy war, or has some interest in fomenting uh, bloodshed. All that was the price we were willing to pay for, for an Iran deal. But it is new that the Obama administration would have said, hold on, back off of Hezbollah because we want this deal. And that includes even the importation of drugs into this country. That includes Hezbollah's international criminal networks. Just as North Korea engages in criminal activity for profit because it does not care what the international community thinks of it, the same is true for Hezbollah. Hezbollah is a designated terrorist organization. So Hezbollah uh, sells its tentacles all over the world, do what they can to raise money through illicit means. Arms trafficking, drug trafficking, they don't care. Whatever, whatever gets the most cash in their pockets and they can send back so that uh, Hezbollah can continue to be this growing cancer in the Middle East. Uh, but... Now some people are taking notice of this. First of all, you had uh, former senior, before I take it to the Republican side, you had former uh, 
senior advisor to the White House on national security. I forget his specific title. Uh, I think he was like Deputy National Security Advisor for Strategic Communications. I think that was his job title. Ben Rhodes, who's part of this uh, this this crew of of uh, of bros who used to work in the Obama White House, foreign policy bros. Hey, what's up? Remember that guy? I was, was it was it? I can't remember his name. The guy who went on TV and he's like, Benghazi was like two years ago, brah. Get with the times, brah. He's like flipping his hair. He's like, I'm gonna go hang ten. Yeah. It's like Keanu in Point Break. I shouldn't profane Keanu in Point Break by bringing by bringing this guy into. I forget what his name though was. Um, I'll I'll have uh, I'll have it for you in a moment. I think. Um, I think. Yeah, it was Tommy Vitor. That's right, Tommy Vitor. I remember that guy. The only thing I remember about him was that when he was on TV, he's like Benghazi was like two years ago, bruh. And everyone's like, "Wow, this guy is uh, this is the the best of the best with the Obama administration, doesn't it?" So him and uh, one of the the young speechwriter guys, and then also Ben Rhodes, they were kind of the they're out there now defending the legacy of the Obama administration, and they're really upset with this Politico reporter, and they're just going out there saying the Politico reporter is making it up. And Ben Rhodes tweeted out along that, that, that there should be a photo of Trump with all of his top people. And that was from Pfeiffer, the Clinton, the Clintonisto, Dan Pfeiffer. And then Rhodes responded on Twitter that the photo should be along the obits of and he named a bunch of of Trump officials. Just another reminder that these are not these are not honorable people we're talking about here just because they've served in some senior capacity as an appointee in an administration doesn't mean they're honorable people and now they're running around trying to undermine and smear this political reporter by saying that his stuff is 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 unsourced it's fake it's not true and i give them i give uh, the reporter credit because he is uh, Josh Meyer is the guy and he is stepping up and he's saying, sorry, he responded to one of these uh, o- Obama acolytes. I'm sorry, man, but I'm tired of you guys blatantly lying about my work. Seriously, it's beneath you, Ben Rhodes and Tommy Vitor, etc. You've either not read it or are willfully disregarding the many other people quoted the documents people can link the documents people can link to and the obvious facts. So this guy Meyer knows he's got a he got a big piece out this week on this soft peddling uh, Hezbollah law enforcement operations. You know it's it's damaging to the Obama Obama team legacy, and you know this because they're going out and Politico is a left to center. It's it's a Democrat friendly outlet, but even even Democrat friendly outlets sometimes will find a story that's just too juicy to resist. And this was a good one, and we should give Josh Meyer a hat tip for it. I mean, he he did the reporting, he did the due diligence, but you have these former Obama people running around saying that it's all lies, and he's like, "How is it a lie? I've got all these sources. W- what's a lie about this?" And you sense the desperation from them because the more the American people know the truth about how Obama was conducting his foreign policy, the more they'll realize that they're in these former Obama officials are in no position whatsoever to be. Uh, casting aspersions on what Trump has done so far. They, they really, they, they've, they've got nothing. 
nothing to show for eight, nothing worthwhile, at least a show for eight years of being in charge. So it's, uh, it's interesting to see how this plays out. And one more thing here. You are beginning to see that Republicans have, I think, woken up to what's really happening with the whole Russia collusion investigation. This is just the weaponization of prosecutors and using investigations as a political tactic. It's not the first time it's happened. We've seen it happen before. I get all that. But Republicans are realizing what's going on here. Even Rand Paul, for example, wants some answers. We've had this investigation about Russian collusion. Maybe we need an investigation about high-ranking Obama officials colluding to try to prevent Trump from being president. That's more serious than even Watergate. I have to say, you know, you got to fight fire with fire at some level. First of all, I would argue that there is a much greater likelihood of finding collusion or conspiracy, we could use that term, among senior level DOJ and FBI officials to undermine and destroy the Trump uh, campaign and then presidency than you are that there was some secret plot with the Russians to turn the election. Right? You, you, are, you are much more likely to find that, to find the former than the latter. But on top of that, Democrats are using this as a weapon against the administration. The investigation. Now, I'm not even talking about the findings, and they know it. That's why when they hear that Mueller, Mueller's probe might extend another year, they're so happy. It's not about justice. It's not about finding the truth. The process is the punishment. And if they want to play that game, and if this is the way it's going to be, you know what? There are some other things we should be looking into. You know, you're darn right we should be investigating. And now they finally are investigating and uh, calling to account senior FBI, senior DOJ officials who were involved in all this, making them answer questions before Congress under oath behind closed doors. But this should have been happening for a while. And now it looks like there's also going to be an investigation into Uranium One and Hillary Clinton, as there well should be. Will we find anything? Eh. But if the Mueller probe is going on, we want answers to all of it. How about that? You know? What's good for the goose is good for the gander. What what's the way it's going to be for the Democrats if they're going to play politics that way? Well, what's the alternative? We're going to sit around, you know, be a bunch of never Trumpers who are like, oh, no, we have scruples and principles. We would never investigate them unless we were 100 percent sure. Hey, investigating is trying to find out, right? They're going to do this with the Mueller probe. And this is a self, but I will. Admit, this is a self-inflicted wound for the Trump administration at some level, too. Yeah, the narrative was created about all the Russia stuff, and it was done dishonestly, but they never should have. I said it from the beginning. You should not have had Sessions recusing himself. You never should have allowed this to happen, and I've been consistent on that from day one. This was a nightmare. This was going to go on forever. It was not about justice. It was not about our, you know, this was the, this was the break in the dam for the Trump team, and I'm just, it's unfortunate that they couldn't see it for what it was, and I, I don't trust this Rosenstein guy at DOJ either. I'm just putting that out there. I'm not not loving what I'm seeing from him either. All right, we got lines lit in here, so we want to get to some of those calls. 844-900-2825. Uh, we will be back with uh, much more. Stay with me. It's time for Bob Mueller to put up or shut up. If there's evidence of collusion, let's see it. If there's not, let's move on as a country, and let's institute reforms at the FBI so that an egomaniac FBI director like James Comey cannot depart from the normal standard procedures that guarantee all Americans equal treatment under the law. I agree with what uh, Representative Matt Getz said there, but 
Unfortunately, the Mueller probe's not going to win anytime soon. And despite all the hysteria about it, he's not going to fire Mueller. They're going to be running think pieces on that one. They're going to be running an endless loop on CNN over the holiday. Will will Trump fire Mueller? It'll be New Year's Eve. Hey, let's take a stop from the uh, champagne drinking and let's ask a question. Is Trump going to fire Mueller? Just, it's just like, you know, hamsters hitting a pedal or when they, you know, when they want a snack, like CNN audience, they, they want to hear about how Trump is going to cause a constitutional crisis. You know, that's the way it is. I should probably watch more MSNBC. I mean, MSNBC is crushing CNN and the ratings for a reason, right? It's probably more interesting. I, I got to figure. So, all right, we got some calls up here. Uh, Kaylee in Florida. Thank you for holding, Kaylee. Hi. Hi. Hey, uh, it's uh, Haley, like Nikki Haley. Oh, Haley. It's okay. It, was, yeah, it said yeah. Kaylee here, yeah, but I like it. Haley's good, too. Go ahead. Hi. Okay. Um, what I was calling about was today um, I read off news, Fox News app that oh, Michelle Obama said that if women voted against Hillary Clinton, they voted against their own voice. And I just, I just couldn't believe it. It just filled me with so much anger for a woman to say that, um, what do you mean against her own voice? She has no idea. Our well, own well voice. Democrats, uh, Democrats, Haley, think of, of of women as a voting block, and it's determined, and their ideas and their beliefs and their principles are determined first and foremost by gender, not just by virtue of being people. Exactly. Yeah, it's and troubling, isn't like it? I was, I felt like I was a little chess piece in her speech, wherever she was. I didn't care to read any more about it because I was just like, what What a disgrace to women or even to men that highly believe in women and that they're powerful and they do speak their minds. Haley, I, I just want to let you know, by the way, that I'm pretty sure that that was uh, that that news story. Well, I, I remember hearing about that. That was quite a quite a while ago. So I think you might need to update your Fox app. Yeah, um, I don't know. It was the, um, like the oh, Hillary one. said it. The, Hillary said it this week. It said Michelle Obama. Oh, okay. I don't know if it's just a story that they were running again to just, you know, kind of get the narrative out there. But I just, I'm a registered Democrat, and I don't, just because I have to pick a side, I'm not saying I am, I'm not saying I'm Republican, but I just felt like I needed to come on the radio and just let women know that they don't need to, to worry about what these political figures are saying in their narratives. Yeah. They need to just... Listen to themselves. Listen to their gut. Is this your is this your first time, Haley, listening to the show? If I may ask. Um, actually, I've listened to you a little bit. Um, I just started listening to talk radio in the past eight months. Okay. Um, I listen. So this is clearly your favorite talk radio show. Uh, Sure. Yeah, you're putting (laughs) me on the spot, but. (laughs) And are are you what are you like college age? How old are you, Haley? I'm 22. I'm in. A, I'm at my local state college. Um, awesome. I am interested in pursuing a career in children's. Um, uh, in children, um, I don't know if I'm going to write books or if I'm going to be a teacher or if I'm going to help. Well, make a team, change, team Buck but... Campus represent Haley. Have a very merry Christmas and thank you very much for your call. We appreciate it. Uh, Eric uh, on the iHeart app in New York. What's up, Eric? Yeah, hi, Buck. Uh, Shields, hi, and Merry Christmas to you and yours. Shields, hi, and Merry Christmas to you and yours, sir. Thank you, thank you. Um, I was just wondering on your opinion. I know you were joking before about uh, moving the U.N. to some, like, desolate island in the middle of nowhere, which I think would be completely awesome. But at the same time, though, um, 
while they're here in our country, I know that we have, you know, diplomatic immunity and stuff like that, but to all the people who voted against what we believe in, I was wondering, is there anything that you know better than I do? Is there anything that we could do to them while they're here? Wait, what do you, wait, what do you mean? I'm sorry. It's, uh, like, uh, taking away some of their diplomatic privileges or, you know, somehow just being a thorn in their side for voting against. Nah, that, that, we can't, we can't do that. That would mean we're operating in bad faith. That's, that's, that would be a no, no. We, we got to respect diplomatic protocol too, but we don't have to have the United Nations in midtown Manhattan and have all these bureaucrats running around with their government expense accounts and everything. I'm just saying that that does not, that does not have to be the case. We could set up the UN somewhere else. I don't think that we get uh, quite the benefits from it that a lot of people seem to think that we do. Uh, having it on, on, well, first of all, having it in New York is just insane because it's the busiest city in the country and it basically shuts down for a few weeks. Uh, not shuts down, but uh, causes gridlock uh, a few weeks a year whenever the General Assembly is in town. And you know, there's a lot of other towns, a lot of lovely places in this country. We could set up the UN, you know, they got big airports. We could do the whole thing. So I, I would be, if I'm Trump, I would be like, you know what, let's move it to. Whatever town that we could use some uh, some jobs and a little boost for uh, local local industry, let's move the UN there and see how many bureaucrats want to show up and hang out. But no, Eric, we, right. we can't we can't penalize them officially for taking votes that we don't like uh, while they're well, here. Um, I that, agree that, but um, sorry to interrupt. I no, you weren't interrupting. I'm I'm going oh on God. and on. Go ahead. I was just thinking of like, you know, is there a political way that we can agitate them or just kind of like stick it to them a little bit i guess yeah well trump is saying that we might give them less money so there's that uh, that would be one oh, that'd be awesome yeah that would be awesome <laughs> have a hey eric merry christmas man thank you very much for calling in um yeah there's there's some stuff that we could probably probably do but you know look it's a lot of countries right that's part of the problem here is that everybody pretty much voted you know n- not not with us i mean micronesia was like what step off micronesia micronesia was with us guatemala Bam! Guatemala stepped up big. I'm trying to think who else off the top of my head. Who else was on that list? Um, was El Salvador with us? Or uh, I think there was another Central American country that was not voting. Uh, Canada voted, uh, what is it, um, not in, in absentia, but they voted, uh, you know, no no vote. Whatever. I'm, I'm forgetting what the word is. Pardon me for a second on that. But okay, Canada, we'll take that. We'll take that, Canada, you know. Our brothers and sisters up north in the in the, uh, in the in the great cold north of Canada. I appreciate that they um, they decided. Oh, abstention! Thank you. They abstained. Um, that's that, that's that's good enough. I'll I'll take abstention here. The countries that abstained and a bunch of other Eastern European countries abstained too. Who, who do we have? Here's the, here's the whole list: it's right. Guatemala, yeah. Honduras, Israel. Obviously. Honduras. That's what I was thinking. Okay. The Marshall Islands. Micronesia. That's right. Though, did, did they can't bring the noise to the Marshall Islands. Don't try to push around the Marshall Islands. That's right. Uh, Nauru, I believe that's how it's pronounced. Yeah, I think that's also in the South Pacific. Uh, Got like a three or four man army, I think. <laughs> Palau, I believe that's how it's pronounced. Togo and us. So that was that was the United Front. I, I, you know, I, you know, it's not about the size of the dog in the fight, right? It's about the size of the fight and the dog. That's right, Palau and Micronesia. By the way, these are great trivia questions. Like if you, I used to play this game with my little brother who got way too good at it, by the way, and I was getting very frustrated, where you'd have a globe, and it, would, it had a little voice, and it was like, all right, here we go. And it would, it'd be like, 
you know, Vatican City, Palau, and you'd have to press on the globe. Or it was a really fun game. It's actually a great, those of you who have kids that you want to get them to uh, know geography, which is really understudied, I think, in schools. It's a great game. Uh, really, really recommend it. Um, but yeah, Micronesia, these are the ones, I remember Togo, I remember these from... Uh, from that game, and I, you know, these were the ones you'd be like, no, and it'd run out of time, and it would, you know, because you couldn't find some of these different, uh, different little countries. So, okay, so we didn't exactly have like the great world powers necessarily with us in this UN vote, but also here's another point to keep in mind about this whole UN General Assembly vote today. Whatever, what are they gonna do? It means really nothing, but it's annoying. It's mostly annoying. And we shouldn't have to be annoyed by countries that need us a lot more than we need them. All right, 844-900-2825. Much more coming your way, team. I'll be right back. I mean, the big banking profits off this Republican tax bill are going to make your eyes roll back in your head. The wealthiest people and the most powerful corporations in this country started almost literally scrambling to figure out how they're going to handle all the money the Republican tax bill just gave them. So when your family's taxes go up because of this bill, you can take comfort in knowing that that's what you're paying for. You're giving telecom companies and the biggest banks in the country a really embarrassing amount of money to have to explain away. This is just embarrassing class warfare from Rachel Maddow. I mean, the thing about Maddow is she's a, she's a sharp lady. I mean, she's she, yeah, she is smart. So when she's making stuff up, it's not out of ignorance. It's just out of cynicism and opportunism. And. How, how are middle class people's taxes going to go up? I mean, if you're a middle class person in a, for example, if you're a middle class person under this tax bill in a blue state that has the state and local tax deduction issue, are your taxes really that much? Your, your property taxes that much more than fifteen, twenty, twenty five thousand dollars a year? Not you're you're middle class. I mean, now we're how expensive is your house? I mean, I know different jurisdictions have different uh, taxation. Uh, but still, you know, I mean, if you're paying like 20 or 30 grand in taxes on your house each year, your middle class, that must be some house or some high taxation rate you've got. Um, and that's just assuming that there are some people, you know, that, that's that's taking her as a serious analyst on this issue. When in reality, it's just this is just boo rich people and corporations. We love the middle class. Well, what about the fact that this is going to give 80 percent of Americans a tax break? And that's, as I told you, that's from the Brookings Institution. What about the fact that it's going to give an average of $2,000 in tax cuts to uh, American families? That's bad? I I need the Democrats to explain to me where these families are that are going to have $2,000 more once this tax code cut goes through that are unhappy about it. They are just making it up as they go along. But, you know, Chuck Schumer's all sad about it. They're failing to reauthorize the CHIP program that provides health care for millions of sick kids. In the same week that Senate Republicans voted to slash corporate taxes, they're shortchanging millions of middle-class Americans who lost their homes to wildfires and historic storms. I, I, don't, know what, I don't know what that's supposed to be about. And, and this is an unpopular position, I know. But if you don't have insurance on your home, And there is a natural disaster. It is not clear to me why the federal government has an obligation to pay for your home. I I, I know that this this is a this uh, people 
get very tense about this, but I say, well, if one person's house burns down and they don't have insurance, the federal government does not write them a check. But if a thousand people's houses are burned down or flooded, somehow there's a federal go- the federal government supposed to pay for that. I-, I need someone to explain that. I understand the politics behind it, but I don't see a principle there. But I'm not even sure what Chuck is specifically referring to other than he's just opposed to this because Republicans got something through that'll help people. And I've given up on trying to ring the alarm bell over the, the debt. People don't want it. People just don't want to hear it right now. I get it. You know, well, yeah, okay, we're going to live in the now, right? And living in the now, this tax bill is a good thing. It is kind of funny. I think it was, uh, uh, what's the, oh gosh, I'm forgetting the name of it. Sorry, I'm forgetting some names tonight. I'm tired, guys. It's been a long, it's been a long year. You know, it's been a lot going on. I'm ready. I've got a little bit of vacationitis going on. Um, but the former Bush, who, um, Fleischer, thank you. Ari Fleischer. He tweeted out something today, and it was the front page of USA Today when Obamacare was passed. And it was like, huge victory in Congress for the administration, like, rawr. And then with this tax cut pass, uh, getting passed, it was, you know, $1.5 trillion added to the deficit. Oh, no. It's like, oh, wow, USA Today, all of a sudden, our deficit or debt hawks. Oh, wow. Oh, no. So sad. Look, this is they're allowed to do it. I just I pointed out because this is important for understanding what's what, that the bias is very real. It's not just some thing that Republicans whine about all the time. It's true. Uh, Paul Ryan gives you the other perspective on this thing. We come to these jobs to try and improve the lives of the people we represent. And this bill more than so many other things we've ever tried to do, does that. And so we're very thankful and we're very hopeful. Because when we've been working on this issue for so many years, we can see on the horizon this great potential for our people and for our economy. We know this is the greatest country on earth, and we know that America has better days ahead, and we know that America has so much more potential to tap. This bill taps that potential. Okay. Glad to hear it. Oh, I should note that uh, whenever I tell you there's not going to be a shutdown and all the histrionics and grandstanding around it is just is, is laughable at this point. Just remember that so far I'm I'm uh, batting batting a thousand on that one. I was going to say batting a hundred percent, but then people would know how little I know about baseball. I'm I'm a, yeah no that would have been that would have been embarrassing. I just missed that one. Batting a thousand. Uh, 66 to 32, the Senate just voted to extend the debt ceiling, you know, continuing resolution, no, no shutdown. And no showdown either about immigration or any of the hot-button issues that were supposed to be, we were told at least, were going to be contained in this series of debt ceiling fights. Nope, they, they don't want to have it. They, they don't want to have the fight. We, there is a, I guess I am going to talk about the debt. I promise you I wouldn't because it's bah humbug of me, but... There is a bipartisan consensus in this country that is unbreakable right now that we are going to spend ourselves and we are going to spend until it hurts. Literally, we're going to spend until stuff starts to go south. And let's just hope that at that point. We'll be it it won't be so bad and the the deterioration won't be so rapid that it's unfixable because just just raising taxes is not going to be enough if we get to the point where. 
interest rates rise and you're you're more or less paying in interest what we pay for the military each year. That's not an unthinkable situation. So, okay, you know, we're, we're it's bipartisan, both parties. Nobody wants to touch it. Everyone just wants to go forward with what we've got. All right, fine. That's where we are. I'm, I'm not going to be the one guy standing on the island, although I guess I am the one guy standing, but I'm not going to be sitting around too much yelling about the debt because until something goes wrong, it's just you're fighting a losing battle. I will remind us occasionally of it, but it's not fun, right? It's Christmas time. Every Everybody gets a present now. It's tax code cut, baby. It's going to be great. And uh, we now have an extension of a debt ceiling, too. So the government is... We don't even extract concessions from the other side over the extension of the debt ceiling, which is, just means that we... It's like the government has a credit card, and we're saying, well, we just need to, we need to extend that line of credit. We need to make it even bigger. And instead of saying, all right, well, we'll do that, but we want X or Y. Now we're like, yeah, just do it. You know, I'm, I'm 50,000 in the hole. You know, let's let's throw a Capital One card on there, too. Let's make it 60. You know, let's just keep going and going and going. Okay. But, hey, $2,000 in your pocket. It's going to be nice. I agree. And how this will work out for corporations? Well, we've seen all these bonuses getting passed around. We've seen... A lot of companies, including Comcast, which I believe owns MSNBC, which means that technically Rachel Maddow may, in fact, herself be receiving a little financial assistance. I think she makes about $10 million a year, so she probably does not care. Uh, But I'm just saying Trump's doing her a solid. She may not see it that way, but Trump is doing her a solid. I want to tell you about a story, though, that did not get much coverage. That is a that is a big deal. It has to do with lethal assistance to Ukraine and just disassembling this narrative of Trump as Putin's poodle. It's garbage. And we've got really good evidence as to why it's garbage. I'll tell you about it right after the break. I want to highlight a story that absolutely decimates the prevailing narrative from the last year in the media. If you ever have the misfortune of being stuck on a treadmill or in an airport, you may have seen CNN or MSNBC And there's a very good chance that if that happened, you at some point were told or heard that Trump is essentially a puppet of Russia. In fact, earlier this week, the former director of national intelligence, James Clapper, uh, sort of just goes on TV and just sort of, you know, mutters about stuff. uh, He said that Putin treats Trump like an asset, meaning he is handled like somebody in intelligence would use an asset, a spy, right? That he's running him, that he is handling him. This is, this is troubling stuff, and it's not true. That's why it's so disgraceful to hear this. But the media would say, no, he, Trump doesn't say anything mean about Putin, as though that's going to solve anything. Trump doesn't uh, do anything that shows his disdain for Russia, and so he must be in the pocket of the Russians. And they pr- they have no evidence of this other than he doesn't pick fights with Putin and occasionally says things about how he kind of likes Putin. And I would just point out that there is a story now that is irrefutable that punches that narrative right in the face. The Trump administration has just approved lethal weapon sales to Ukraine for the first time since the conflict between Ukraine and Russia broke out in eastern Ukraine. Now, it's complicated. 
the eastern Donbass region is a separatist region. There are a lot of Ukrainians who are fighting there. There are Russian irregulars, paramilitaries, and Russian regulars there, too. And it is a war through uh, deception. It is Maskarovka. The Russians are engaged in warfare without it being open, meaning that they have people there that are either uh, that are not in uniform, that are pretending to be Ukrainian. They're sending munitions, but they try to make it munitions that are not 100 percent identifiable with the Kremlin, although they they really kind of are. So Russia has been engaged in pushing an insurgency in Ukraine, which is a country that under the Budapest Memorandum, the U.S., Russia and Great Britain are obligated to defend against territorial aggression. The Obama administration refused any sales of lethal weapons to Ukraine to help it defend itself against the Russians. And right now, it's largely a trench warfare. I mean, not in the old World War I sense, but it's static positions where there's not a lot of movement. There's some shelling and there's sniping. And you're lo- you have the Ukrainian military taking a casualty every few days. Uh, you've got about 60,000 Ukrainian military against... 30 or so thousand irregulars, Russian paramilitaries and, you know, Spetsnaz, all that. So now the Trump administration comes along and says, we'll allow for a $41 million deal with the Tennessee-based Barrett firearms manufacturer. They're going to be able to sell M. 107A1 sniper rifles, ammunition, and accessories. Barrett 50 cal sniper rifles are now getting sent to Ukraine. Let me tell you something. This annoys Moscow. This means that there will now be some Russians who have to keep their heads down more in Ukraine, and there will be probably some Russians who get hit. They get taken off the battlefield. KIA. Because of these Barrett 50 cals, they really want these over there in Ukraine. They need better long range sniper rifles, and this will give them that. It's not a it's not a total game changer. I'm not going to overstate the battlefield impact here, but this is the U.S. giving guns to a country that is effectively engaged in a, a war against a covert Russian presence. Imagine for a moment if we were giving weapons to, say, a, a, uh, an Arab militia in Syria so that it could shoot at Russian soldiers. They, they would have, that, that would get them really upset. And, and Ukraine, they care a lot more about than they do than they do Syria. But you see, this doesn't fit the narrative at all. This is contra the narrative because Putin is going to be ticked off over this. This is the kind of stuff that gets the Russians really upset. This isn't, oh, you know, he said something tough at the G20 about Russia. You know, Obama can say tough things and do nothing. This is action from the Trump administration. And it is before people try to dismiss it, Obama resolutely refused to do this. Despite the aggression of the Russians against Ukraine, despite dismembering that country, an ally of the United States, that could be brought into NATO at some point in the future. It's not a NATO country. Uh, but despite all that, the, the Obama administration was like, no, no, we're just going to send along non-lethal help. Well, why make that distinction if it wasn't 
a big deal. It is a big deal. And it's going to annoy the Russians. Now, you can talk about whether or not that's a good move, but it certainly flies in the face of, oh, Trump just does whatever Putin wants him to do. So remember this data point, because the next time somebody tells you Trump is a Putin puppet, say, really? Because Trump is the reason that there are now sniper rifles going to Ukraine that are going to be used to shoot at Russian soldiers who have invaded Ukraine. So you're going to tell me what exactly? That Trump, that Putin wants that to happen? I don't think so. And it's also very powerful as symbolism. This is the U.S. taking a concrete step to assist Ukrainians on the battlefield against pro-Russian separatists and Russian paramilitaries. It's a big deal. Don't let the anti-Trump, never-Trump, deluded uh, loonies pretend like this is nothing because it's not. And then you also have the U.S. Uh, using the uh, Magnitsky Act again. There's more sanctions, too. So these are things that the narrative, uh, you know, they've imposed new sanctions on, under the Global Magnitsky Act. That just happened, too. But these are things that Russia doesn't like. And they're not, you're going to see this now. People that say that Trump does Russia's bidding and he does whatever Putin wants, they're just going to try to ignore this. Because especially the sniper rifles going to Ukraine, that is a big problem for those who are running with this. Oh, Trump is, you know, the Kremlin has video of him and they could destroy him and he'll do anything they say. And you know, why doesn't Trump say more mean things about Putin? I don't know, maybe because Putin is running a country that still has thousands of nuclear missiles and could be a real problem for us. It's amazing how much Democrats want the president of the United States to uh, recklessly antagonize the head of state of a country that we think is, you know, got a bad government and it does. And Putin's a thug and all that stuff is true, but we still have to deal with them. There's no world in which we get to just ignore the Russians, box them in and act like they're not a problem. So you have a lot of people that are really disingenuous about this. Anyway, I wanted to tell you about that. It's important that you remember it. Sniper rifles in the hands of the Ukrainian military. They're going to be shooting at some Russians with it. Trust me, the Kremlin's upset about it. And trust me, the media doesn't want to tell you this because it shatters the narrative of Putin controls Trump. All right, we're rolling to a quick break here, team. When we come back, I'm going to talk to you about a terror attack in Australia that may not be terror may just be somebody who is having a, had a, a psychological breakdown, but I'll analyze it and we'll work through it together. We'll see. Is it terror? Is it not terror? I'll get to that with you in just a few moments. Stay with me. You are now entering the Freedom Hunt Tactical Operations Center. All sensitive programs must be kept strictly need to know. Team Buck is cleared. Roger that. And ready for the Buck Brief. A mass casualty vehicle ramming attack in Australia that you probably have heard nothing or very little about. Why is that? Here are the details from earlier today. A suspect drove an SUV into a crowd of people on a busy Melbourne street early on Thursday injuring 19 people. They are calling this an act of evil. Now, you may be thinking, is this terrorism? And I want to walk you through how we should view and analyze this situation 
because it is, I believe, emblematic of many of the problems of our media right now. I know this is in Australia, but in the Western world, uh, and Australians have to deal with similar terrorism issues to the United States. So let's break this down together, shall we? Let's look at the way it's being reported and then connect some of the dots because this is by the percentages being completely misreported, although I cannot definitively say that they have gotten it wrong just yet. But let me tell you what we know. Uh, The driver of the SUV was, in fact, a uh, Muslim Afghan immigrant who became a permanent citizen in Australia. His name is Saeed Nuri, and he was known to authorities As a drug user, he had been arrested in the past and he was on what the Australians are referring to as a mental health plan. So he had been treated for mental health issues. They're saying that this is not a terrorist related incident, but I would point out that they're saying it is not connected to terrorism based on what they know so far. And they are pointing to the fact that, yeah, there's nothing in uh, there's nothing on this individual that has uh, ISIS paraphernalia. There's nothing that yet has jumped out to say that this was done on behalf of the Islamic State. But let's look at some of the coincidences so far. First of all, Australia has a Muslim population of about two and a half percent so that the perpetrator here falls in that two and a half percent. And we know that from within the Muslim world, you have a disproportionate share of vehicle terrorist attacks. That's already quite a big coincidence. Now, that's not to say that it could not be the case that Saeed Nouri here was just a crazy person and was not, in fact, tied to or acting on behalf of the Islamic State. But It is to say that it would be unlikely under the circumstances that he had no jihadist intent whatsoever based on the numbers. I think the overwhelming likelihood is that if, in fact, Nori, who is currently in a hospital in Australia under armed guard, reveals that his intent was to act on behalf of the Islamic State, which has been telling its adherents, its ideological sympathizers to use vehicle attacks, just like this, at a similar target set to what just happened in uh, Melbourne. And, and over the holidays, as we know, there's a, a greater likelihood of these kinds of attacks to begin with. Uh, but when we find out, if we find out, that Saeed Nouri, formerly of Afghanistan, now a permanent resident to Australia, was acting on behalf of the Islamic State, It'll be a news story that comes out in a few days. It will be muted. And I can tell you that many of the journalists right now who are rushing to say it was not connected to terrorism won't be rushing to say actually it was. You see, how could they know unless there was an ISIS flag draped over the hood of the car or something that within the opening minutes of a terrorist or opening hours after a terrorist attack that it was in fact terrorism? You can only look at the likelihood, you can look at the percentages and make an educated guess at this stage. But notice how the press likes to point out what we don't know right away and state that as a fact so that it is a placeholder. 
no connection to terrorism. When that changes, if it changes, there'll be much less attention on the subject. This is the way that they express a preference. This is how, whether in Australia or here in the U.S., the left-wing anti-Islamophobic media, because they're always on the lookout for Islamophobia, finds ways to make sure that these attacks are put in a specific context and they take some of the attention and the political heat off of these incidents by doing it this way. Now, they would point out, and I'm aware of this, just this I've been through this, right? I was most recently on the Halloween attack. I was over at Fox and they brought on a detective right before me from the NYPD, uh, my former you know, uh, employer. And the guy's like, this is a terrorist attack. And he said that right after I had said, look, I think it's overwhelmingly likely that I'm sorry, a jihadist terror attack. Right. And I said, look, I think this is overwhelmingly likely that it's a jihadist terror attack. But we don't yet have some key facts in place. We didn't know anything about the driver at this point. We all we knew is that he had mowed down a bunch of people. And the reason that I didn't just run out there and say, well, it is a terror attack, as this detective who went on Fox before me did, or right after me, I should say, is because there was that incident in Times Square where a guy just ran into a bunch of people, right? And he wasn't, uh, he wasn't a jihadist. I, I believe he was uh, Hispanic, if memory serves. And he, w- he just essentially snapped. He had a mental break and engaged in an act of, of evil, without a political motivation behind it. And that had happened here in New York. So I understand that there are possibilities for these things. There are different uh, options, but I look at the probabilities and try to come up with a reasonable analysis, a reasonable assessment of what's most likely and what's going on in any given situation. In Australia in 2017, there was another car attack in Melbourne where six people were killed and 30 others were wounded And the individual responsible was known as Demetrios Gargasoulis. And he also had had mental health problems, engaged in uh, illicit drug use and had a history of family violence. Now, what was much less reported was that at trial, he had yelled out that the Muslim faith is the correct faith, according to the whole world. Was that just the rantings of a person who was disturbed uh, or, or were the Australian uh, was the Australian press just really happy to assume that that had no greater meaning and that he hadn't converted? Keep in mind, conversion to Islam is possible. And I think very few reporters know this. All one has to do is recite the Arabic words that comprise what's known as the testimony of faith or the Shahada, which is la, la ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah Allah. So that's there is no God but God and Muhammad is the messenger of God. And if you say that and you mean it in your heart and that is your belief, you you have become a Muslim and you have to accept that the Quran is is the uh, revelation of God and you have to have a belief in judgment day. But the truth is that the media is not particularly curious about the ease with which one could technically become a Muslim. And so they would rather just say that somebody is mentally disturbed and move on from there. And that's why with this case just from earlier today of Saeed Nouri running over a bunch of people on a busy street in Melbourne, Australia, right before the Christmas holiday, there is this desire to say, well, we we don't have smoking gun evidence of terrorism. So let's just call this an act of evil and move on from there. 
And if, in fact, this guy starts ranting from his hospital bed about how he did this for Allah, I have a feeling that that will be reported on page C-17 of the Aussie Herald Sun, and nobody will really pay much attention to it at all. Journalists believe that they're making a moral choice here, and it's important that we all understand that. They think that on balance, doing what they can to diminish the outrage that people may feel about a Muslim immigrant to Australia engaging in a mass casualty attack, uh, they think that that's worth it, even if it means there has to be some dishonesty in the process. Is Saeed Nouri of Australia possibly just a deranged person who did not believe that he was acting on behalf of jihad or ISIS specifically? It's possible, but I view it as highly unlikely, and I also think that we have to look at the background of the media that reports on all this and understand that they come at it not looking for the truth, but with an agenda. And that agenda is we must combat Islamophobia, even if it means we have to mislead or lie to the public who we are supposed to, as our first priority, tell the truth. So that's my assessment of what happened in Australia. And I, unlike the rest of the media, will follow up with what happens there. All right, Tim, I'll be right back. Stay with me. Do you think his resignation was a good idea? I did not publicly call for his resignation because we are a colleague and we had many, many talks over that time. So that's uh, Senator Amy Klobuchar, who's like, I didn't call for his resignation. They've given us a date, everybody. They say the office has said it's January 2nd. What I love, though, is that some of you still don't believe it. And I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying that's where we are now when it comes to what's reported and also the way the Democrats uh, do business. Even when the official announcement comes out from the office, there are questions. And I think that we all have a lot of questions, given that this past year has been a particularly tough one for the media. Uh, there are some, some epic media fails in 2017 that... I figured it'd be a little fun to go back and take a little trip down memory lane with some of them. Like, for example, the whole Hillary What Happened tour and how that all came together. Play that one. In your book, you talk about all, uh, alternate nostril breathing. Yes. What is that? And dare you give me a demonstration? Well, of that? at this stage in your life, does even having to ask yourself the question of why hurt? Do you give absolution? To, to those who didn't vote, to women who didn't vote? No. Welcome back. My interview with former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton is now subject to a brief interruption because of this important video <laughs> of a sneezing panda. All right, so then, Mom, um, Madam Secretary, um, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream? Oh, the hard questions. How did you get out of uh, bed in the morning? Because I did not run for president and I could barely do it. Well, cheers. There was so much warmth for Hillary in the media this year, despite the fact that what happened was a disaster. And it is, if anything, I think one of the the years that we will look back on and think to ourselves, this is when it, it, never again will we be force fed that the media is this objective standard bearer of truth. I think 2017 is is the year that it finally was the point of no return. We are now in an opinion journalism universe. We are now in a country in which we can all, I think, finally accept 
or or we should, whether they let us or not. Not everyone's going to agree with me on this. Not everyone's going to be willing to sign off on it, but I don't care. It's the truth. We are in a partisan media environment, and this was the year because Trump was the president that it, that it finally just all came apart. They no longer could keep up the facade. That's really one of the great benefits of Trumpism is that now we look at the major media outlets and we think to ourselves, oh, wow, look at that. It could not be more clear how much they disdain this president versus how much they adored Hillary Clinton. Even, I think, to the point where finally it has it has dawned upon most of the major left-wing outlets that Hillary is no longer really a viable political candidate. Although I should note today they were there were stories today about how Hillary may get involved in the 2018 midterm. And I just I hope that she shows up at as many battleground states as possible and is a reminder to every undecided voter of what they could have had. Amazing. That's I, you know, if I'm Donald Trump, I would be encouraging her in every way possible. You know, come on, Hillary, get out there. Go go fight for the team. You know, go push for the Democrats on the campaign trail because the Clinton dynasty's finally come to an end. Uh, and it was a moment of a psychological break, I think, for much of the mainstream media. They had this vision of the future. And this ties very directly into the resistance and never Trumpism. They had this vision of the future where it would just be eight years of wonderful Hillary Clinton access and progressive policy. And it was all just going to be exactly what they wanted. And it was taken from them. You know, this was the year the media found out that there is no progressive Santa Claus. It is, in fact, not going to be what they had anticipated. Uh, the president would not be the president that they had handpicked for the American people. So that was one major component in losing so much respect or whatever respect you had left for the mainstream outlets this year, other than Fox, the the non-Fox media, as some call it. And then there was the other major political story this year, because it is a political story, about Russia, Russia, Russia. It's an obstruction of justice. You were saying that this could lead down the road to impeachment, but we weren't anywhere near that yet. Does this breaking news tonight change your view on that? Are true. Are we getting closer and closer to the possibility of yet another impeachment process? So in terms of impeachment, are you taking action, working with Republicans or doing anything that would actually move that agenda forward? Do you harbor any hopes that you will find a conservative legal mind to match your desire to proceed with impeachment Steve, on the- are you suggesting that president trump should face impeachment no i'm not suggesting uh, that congressman what is your case for impeachment Explain. Yeah. What do you think of this impeachment possibility? What's new, more needed to prove it? obstruction of justice than the president fires the guy coming after him after asking him to drop the case? What more do you need? Chris Matthews, everybody. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of people pushing impeachment as a storyline. A lot of very fancy journalists given tremendous platforms running around talking about treason and collusion and impeachment and maybe even imprisonment for the president, all that. And yet here we are, one year in, more or less, soon to be officially one year in, 
and there is nothing to substantiate any of this. And I always think it's so interesting, and I've had this situation a few times on TV, and, and then also, as one does these days, everyone is now a, uh, a social media pugilist who is a pundit, and you are forced to go back, or not forced to, but a lot of us end up going back and forth. The moment you say there's no evidence, there are these, these fits of rage from the left and the pro-Hillary Democrats and the pro-Obama Democrats. Of course, there's so much evidence. Look in front of the evidence right in front of your face. And then you say, well, what's the evidence? And they just yell louder. They really are the bleeding sheep from George Orwell's Animal Farm. Four legs good, two legs bad. That is the Democrat mantra at this point. Whatever they're told to say, they just bleed it out and try to drown out any sensible approach to what's happened here or what hasn't happened when it comes to Trump and Russia. It has just been the effort to undo the electoral result, to change this election, and to drown out the truth with so much nastiness. I mean, that's been a major component of what the media has done this year. They have spun off onto another planet. They are divorced from reality. And they're also trying to ruin the reputations of people who are just being on, trying to be honest about it, at least. Trying to look at each stage in this process of the so-called Mueller-Russia collusion probe and say, all right, well, well, just give me the evidence that you say you have. And they never produce it. And then they get mad. Unfortunately, 2018, my friends, is going to be more of this. I wish I could say that it was over, but I think we are about halfway through. But on the, uh, on the flip side, at least, I'll give you some talk about Team Buck. That'll be fun. We'll get into some Team Buck emails. And also, I'm just going to make fun of Tom Brokaw for a while because it's Christmas time. Stay with me for that. Team, for old time's sake, let's just get into a buck slap here. This is how, on what should be considered a journalistic broadcast, MSNBC talks about the president. Tweeted, Tom, I just want your reaction here. (laughs) Was Fox and Friends just named the most influential show in news? You deserve it. Three great people. The many fake news hate shows could study your formula for success. Notice how when Mika wants to show her disdain to the audience, before we even get into Brokaw's idiotic response, notice how Mika makes it very clear to everyone watching that it's like she's reading the writings of a a four-year-old. She might as well be like, I'm Donald Trump and I'm doing finger painting. I mean, she's really laying it on thick there. She could just read it as a news person theoretically should, but no, she wants you to know that she thinks Trump is so dumb, ha, ha, ha. And just as a little aside here, Mika is in much more of a glass house than she seems to realize. Were she not the daughter of Zbigniew Brzezinski, do we really think she would have gotten these media opportunities? She might want to just show a little more humility. But here we are. We're, we're treated to Mika's opinions all the time. Anyway, let's get to what Tom Brokaw. What does Tom Brokaw have to say? Tom. Well, he watches Fox News because it re- reinforces what he believes. 
uh, Fox News after Shepard Smith in the late afternoon is on a jihad right now on the whole question about whether there's a fairness about this or not. Uh, the transfer of uranium, for example, to, um, Iraq, to Iran. Mm-hmm. Shep Smith has gone in some detail to say it did not happen. She didn't have the authority to do that. That ends at 4.30 or 5 or whenever he gets off the air. And then from then on... What happens? The whole assault is on the institutions. The whole assault is on the institutions. There's Tom Brokaw going to be letting the country know what he thinks about everything and the news. This guy is so lucky to have gotten where he did in the news business. He just happened to be in the right place at the right time in the golden era of being a newsreader. Uh, you turn it on Shepard Smith after 4.30, and it just... This guy is a nincompoop, all right? What he says is absolute babble. Babble. And notice how he's treated with all of this deference by, just tell us more, Tom Brokaw. This guy doesn't know anything. You know, I can tell you this. If Tom Brokaw uh, had to actually show up in a newsroom today and do all the things that people in the media business are expected to do, the guy would crumble up into a little puddle in the corner. I've seen this firsthand. I worked at CBS Evening News with Dan Rather as an intern, but I'm just saying I observed. I'm not saying I was high level. And the guy came in, got his hair done, and read some lines and went home. I mean, it was the easiest job, the easiest $7 million a year I've ever seen any human being get. And he wasn't even very good at it. He was just lucky, and the right people liked him. But Tom Brokaw wants to tell you uh, there's a jihad being waged right now by Fox News. He uses the term jihad because he knows that it will perhaps get him additional attention. It will get under the skin of some of the people that he is trying to not just agitate, but that he so clearly, for whom he so clearly has a real disdain. Anybody who lives in a red state or anybody who recognizes that jihad is in fact a real threat to this country. But I just can't get over that we have these, these honestly, these outdated clowns like the Dan Rathers and the Tom Brokaws, and they're treated with all this deference. I have zero deference for these people. There's nothing impressive about any of them. They were entirely replaceable. They were lucky. You know, their, their, their skill set is Matt Lauer without the sex scandal. Congratulations. That's it. That's it. There's nothing about them that gives them so, other than longevity in a business that's changed dramatically. It's entirely different now. And the days of just showing up and oh, I look like a newsreader, so give me the job. That has changed. Now, just because you sound like this and America, you know, because I'm going to prey on your intellectual insecurities at home, make you think that I sound smart, therefore I must be smart. Tom Brokaw, baby. It's just appalling. And I, I hate that we have to sit here and anyone anywhere across the country has to be lectured by these total lightweights, these empty suits. And, you know, Mika's whole thing now is just turned into like performance art. She's the mean girl in high school. And, and President Trump is the one that she's trying to pick on. Now, I don't think Trump really cares all that much. But keep in mind, Mika and Joe, they were chummy, chummy, buddy, buddy with Trump until they weren't. 
And now they are so desperate for relevance. They're part of a hashtag resistance. You know, either be a nice person or have principles, but don't be a jerk with no principles because then you're just worthless. And I don't care what NBC or MSNBC is paying them. I don't care about the fancy country clubs that they belong to or the private jet travel that they so luxuriate in on a regular basis. The fact of the matter is people are clowns. Uh, excuse me, young man. Uh, say that again, and I'll have my staff of writers come up with a monologue to refute you for me, and then I'll read it over once, maybe. Tom Brokaw, go away. I mean, I, I know I'm trying to get in the Christmas spirit, but some people just just need a buck slap. So I, I saw that clip, and when he starts talking about a jihad, I, I would also note that I suppose... We could say that uh, jihad can be offensive now. You know, there used to be this story that you would hear from different people on the left that jihad is only defensive to create a a false framework where jihad always has some uh, moral backing because it's a defensive holy war. And anybody who has even the most passing familiarity with the history of the Islamic conquest knows that that is complete and utter garbage. It's kind of like the people that go around saying the jihad just means inner struggle. Yeah, tell that to about 1400 years or so of jihadists uh, around the world. Apparently, they've been quite, quite confused this whole time. Uh, I suppose they're confused. I don't know. I, I think it's 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 just sometimes necessary to call out some of these people. It's I feel bad, though, because it's not in the Christmas spirit, but I don't really feel bad because they're they're kind of terrible and they're being really mean. And I think that they have a disdain for a lot of the people that they are relying on to watch them at home. You know, it's the the solipsism, the narcissism of the old school news anchors on these networks like ABC, NBC and CBS. It is it is still a sight to behold. Let's come back to some Team Buck Speaks. Stay with me. Only two more shows here in the Freedom Hut in 2017. Uh, well, actually, my math is off. O- only really one more show, because this is the end of the Thursday show. We have a show tomorrow, and then I will be on vacation next week, as will the rest of the, the team here in the hut. So this is one of our last chances to hang out in 2017. And I would encourage any of you who have never yet this year called into the show it's a great time to do it tomorrow i mean we're gonna let those lines we're gonna let those lines breathe tomorrow my friends they're gonna be wide open lots of space on those phone lines and even if you just want to call in and wish everyone a merry christmas i'm really hoping to make tomorrow uh, a kind of audio christmas party in the freedom hut all of you can call in whenever you want and we'll chat about things and have a great time so um, that that would be my pitch to all of you. All I want for Christmas is to hear from a lot of Team Buck tomorrow and for as many of Team Buck as is uh, possible to maybe pick up a nine-line T-shirt or a subscription to Crate Club because those are fantastic veteran-owned and operated advertisers who have really given a big vote of confidence in the show by uh, joining us for a campaign right over the holiday season. So, I've got my nine line t-shirt right here. I've got my crate club crate at home. And I'm really hoping those of you listening will uh, give a shot to those wonderful 
uh, wonderful companies, really great brands, and the veterans, including a whole bunch of veterans of the special operations community that are involved in those projects. So uh, that's, that's what I want for Christmas. Those are my Christmas wishes for all of you here. And with that, I will get into the latest edition of some Team Buck Speaks. This one from Michael. Uh, good buck. Okay, <laughs> a good buck I am. I had some input concerning the possible new name for Team Buck Speaks. Considering we are all residents of the Freedom Hut, maybe you could call it Stories from the Freedom Hut. Just an idea, but it wouldn't hurt my feelings to leave the show just like it is. Shields high from Texas. Oh, and then he writes one more quick one here. Sorry, I meant to say good day initially. Never been a big proofreader. Well, Michael, I kind of like good buck. Hello, good buck. Uh, I'll take it. And yeah, I like stories of the Freedom Hut. We're going to be thinking about some creative ideas and different changes we'll be making to the show in 2018. One thing is Commie Bear's coming back. I- I've your your wishes have been heard on this one team. The, the bear will be back. It is happening. And as long as you want to hear from the bear, there will be regular commie bear appearances. And for a lot of you, you're like, what the heck is he talking about? You'll see, comrades. You'll see. Uh, next, we have Russ writing in here. Uh, hey, Buck, just wanted to wish you and your family a Merry Christmas. Shields high, brother, and be safe. Well, Russ, thank you for the very kind note. Shields high and Merry Christmas to you and yours as well. Uh, Robert with the following. Now Trump has gone too far. He has gone after your grandchildren. He has taken credit for giving taxpayers a big, beautiful Christmas gift. Uh, His so-called gift will actually be paid for by your grandchildren. He has actually stooped to stealing from children. Robert, uh, I actually think in concept what you're saying here about government spending is true. But let's be real. In the meantime, we're going to be helping a lot of middle class families with the tax cut here that they can really use. And corporations will get a huge boost. And yeah, I'm skeptical of growth will pay for the $1.5 trillion cut. I will tell you that. And I, and I think that's a fair point. But you know, Trump is Trump is arriving on the scene when we're $20 trillion in the hole. And nobody wants to talk about austerity or even fiscal sanity right now. I try here on the show. I try. So, but it's not fair to pin it on Trump. And I think in the short term, the tax cut will be a good thing. Uh, Steven has the following for me here. Hey, Buck, listening to the Tuesday show on my podcast app and wanted to share my family's farm story relating to government regulations. I'm the son of a Wisconsin farmer who was forced to cancel a planned expansion and sell his farm four years ago because of state environmental regulations. My father had built a retirement home in a hill overlooking my home farm and will likely have to watch the farm degrade from his house as the current owner is not keeping up the building. The current owner missed the same deadline for installing an approved waste handling system, so the barn will not be able to house animals unless our Department of Natural Resources changes its regulations. My father still touches the dairy industry as a milk truck driver, but I think he misses it. At least he has a few animals at his home, so my boys will know up close and personal what a cow and chicken is. Shields high, and thanks for generally supporting my brothers in law enforcement. I have found you to ask fair questions, which was needed during the previous administration. Merry Christmas, Buck. 
Well, Stephen, Merry Christmas to you too. And thank you for sharing your story. And thank you for being a member of our law enforcement community. You know, I will just say this. You know, when I go on TV and uh, or, or even on this show, I hear directly from people in law enforcement who are my friends. So it's in the same way that you can always know that I will, uh, to, the, to the best of my ability, maintain a certain standard of conduct and decorum on this show. I, I don't cuss and I, I try to always err on the side of language that those of you who have little ones who may be listening could hear uh, without it being a problem. Because my parents listen to the show, and I am never going to be okay with disappointing mom. So that's why I, I have a certain standard of conduct on the show. Uh, I also know that my former uh, brothers and sisters from the NYPD and also from the CIA listen into the show and see me on TV, and they have uh, expectations of me as well. And that doesn't affect my analysis, but it just means that. I know I've got to answer to them. So I'm not going on TV and saying anything just to say it or here on the radio show, because unlike a lot of other people that do this for a living, I've got to look my friends in the eye and have their respect afterwards. And that means a whole lot of folks at the NYPD and a whole bunch of folks at the CIA. So that is something that uh, it, it helps me keep it real, as I like to say. It helps me keep it real. We get Leonard writing in here with a quick one. My vote, keep Team Buck Speaks. I've always liked it. Leo, OSS, Original Saturday Squad. Well, Leo, um, I'm glad. You know, maybe we will keep it, but I like to hear the uh, opinions, and I very much appreciate yours, and we will certainly take that into consideration. Uh, Christy, with the following, she sent a a photo here of a cat with a Santa hat on. Very cute, uh, Christy, thank you. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to you, Ty, and Amy. From our Freedom Hut to yours, Holiday Shields High, Christy, Calvin, and Hobbs. Uh, okay, Christy, thank you so much. Merry Christmas to you and Shields High. Uh, Raymond writes, could you share your thoughts on Crypto Ripple? Uh, I'm assuming that's a type of cryptocurrency, but I will always tell you when I don't know something, Raymond, and I don't know. So can't can't necessarily tell you that one, but thank you very much for the uh, question, and I will look into it. I'm learning a lot about crypto as much as I can. Uh, Michael writes in with the following. Um, here we go. Uh, Your exchange on 12-13 with Officer Dan was so intense and your argument spot on, I had to write and tell you how awesome that was. I respect law enforcement and my best friend is an Austin police officer, but you buck slapped him on the merits when he tried to pull the I want to take you on a ride along BS. I, I, like many of your fans, know your background and being an eight-year Navy vet, understand those who have been in war zones Your arguments on the police shootings are sound and reasonable, and I'm with you that justice was not served. Keep up the good work. Your content, articulation, and objective knowledge on these matters is priceless. Shields high from Austin. Oh, also, P.S. from Michael here. Instead of Team Buck Speaks, Team Buck Roll Call. I kind of dig that, actually. Uh, Let's let's mark that one down, too. I like that one. Michael, thank you for the kind words and uh, appreciate the support. So with that, we're going to get ready to close up the shop here in the Freedom Hunt for the day. Tomorrow, our last show of 2017. So if you haven't called in yet or you haven't written in, just just 
say hi. You know, we'll do a little, think of it like we're doing Team Buck Roll Call in the next 24 hours. Send us a little Merry Christmas note if you can, or say hi, or whatever you want to do. Call in, write in, officialteambuck at gmail.com, or facebook.com slash bucksexton. And tomorrow, of course, the phones will be open for the show. We're going to try to have a loose, fun, freestyle Friday Christmas edition tomorrow. So look forward to that. And until we assemble together once again in the hut, shields high.